the final words of a person reveal their deepest convictions of their heart. Well, can do so. Before his death, Alexander the Great was asked this question. Who should your empire belong to you to after your death? He responded, to the strongest. Alexander prized the virtue of power. Before the de- death of Epicurus, the Greek philosopher, died, he said, now farewell and remember all my words. Epicurus treasured great wisdom, literature, and longed for his teachings to be studied by many. In his last breath, before Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He wanted the world to know that he conquered the curse of sin through his blood. Final words are extremely meaningful. And in 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 to 21, the apostle is writing to his dearly beloved children. He writes as if these are his final words. He offers us a final call to faith. For he talks about the confidence that faith secures, the prayer that faith enables, and the understanding that faith gives. John is desperate for his children, his church, to get the gospel message. He longs for them to believe in the name of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. That is why he ends his letter with this exhortation. Keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. John longs for his children to keep their faith in Jesus Christ. And I want to explore some of these points right now. I want to read verses 13 again and look at the confidence that faith secures. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may have eternal life. Faith in Jesus secures for us profound confidence before God. If we believe in the name of the Son of God, we are assured of eternal life. How do we know that we have faith, belief in Jesus? Well, the greatest mark of true belief is love, love for God's people. This love is a rugged, selfless commitment to the church family. If we have this faith in Jesus' love, John is saying our eternity is secure. We should have confidence that we will pilgrim on to eternal glory. While this point is clear, I'd like to ask a question. How does this assurance of our salvation benefit our lives? Well, one benefit might be it gives us freedom from fear. Let me read 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. Go back there one more time. There is no fear in love, but perfect love 
drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. Think about the logic of this verse. If we fear death, we do not have, likely, faith in Jesus' love. If we do have faith in Jesus' love, we will not fear God's judgment. If we are conf- not confident, we will likely stand condemned. The confidence of eternal life that faith secures and the fear of God's judgment are incompatible. Since the genuinely converted believer who loves should not fear judgment, judgment day actually turns into a joyful expectation. But we need to be careful here, knowing that judgment is coming, knowing that this great desire is coming. We still live in a world full of darkness. Satan's schemes and attacks in a variety of ways He targets the confidence that faith secures and tries to destroy it. He seeks to create division between believers, destroying their faith in Jesus' love. He knows that if we are less confident, less loving, less Jesus-centered, we'll grow in fear and panic. Then when we grow in fear and panic, we'll lose our self-control and find refuge and strength in the wrong places. Idols. Satan ultimately wants us to lose our faith. And at times he is winning. He wants us to despair over our guilt, our shame, our sin. But if we remember that we are eternally secure Because of our faith that is evidenced by our love, friends, fear no more. You will see Judgment Day approaching and declare, Come, Lord Jesus, come. You'll see the sword of Christ being unleashed on the nations and shout, Let us love all the more. We need more people to come to the knowledge of the truth. You'll see the heavenly hosts preparing for battle and proclaim, Our Lord reigns. Let us keep the faith. Faith secures for us a profound confidence before God. But that's not all that faith does. Faith also empowers our prayer life. I want to look at the prayer that faith enables. Verses 14 to 17. This is the confidence that we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. A confident faith enables our prayers to be heard by God. If we pray according to God's will, God hears our prayers and our requests will be granted. Knowing that God hears and responds to our prayers, John now applies this truth. Verse 16, quote, If anyone sees his brother commit a sin that does not lead to death, he should pray and God will give him life. 
And so if we pray for a brother or sister who is committing a sin, God will give them life if we pray. James, the little brother of Jesus, shares a similar point in the letter to James. He says, the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he or she will be forgiven. The prayer that faith enables breathes new life into wayward, backsliding believers. And so since the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, I urge you, as an act of love, pray for each other. Can you do that for me? Could you keep praying for each other? As an act of love, devotion, keep praying for each other. Prayer is indeed powerful. It brings healing to suffering, hurting, dare I say, dying souls. Even if it's not necessarily for a sinner, think about the power of prayer displayed through the prayer meeting that occurred earlier this year when the combined churches got together. As we were pleading with God to break the drought, it, th- it started to thunderstorm and rain in this church. Into, like The rain was pouring into the building. And now we look outside at the green grass. grass it is completely opposite to last year where it was barren and dry. I believe that it started to rain because righteous, devoted believers gathered together to pray God's will and God responded to that prayer. Do you believe that? I believe that. God answers prayer. Well, there are times where it feels like he doesn't answer prayer. God is responding the way he desires. But God does respond to prayer. So have confidence, have faith. The prayer that faith enables is powerful. Let us now look at the final point, the understanding that faith gives. Verses 18 down to 20. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps him safe and the evil one cannot harm him. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true, even in his Son, Jesus. He is the true God and eternal life. The understanding that faith gives, gives us a knowledge of who we are. We are children of God. This means that we are no longer identifying with the old patterns of sin. We are now kept safe from Satan's harm because we are God's possession, children, heirs of his throne. Secondly, the understanding that faith gives is also a knowledge of the world. The world is a system under the power of Satan. 
since we have been rescued from that satanic world, we no longer are living under the sway and influence of the evil one who is going to be crushed in fullness on the last day. We have been saved, set free from Satan when Christ died and crushed the serpent's head on the cross. And thirdly, the understanding that faith gives is lastly a knowledge of the truth. The truth comes from him who is truth, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is literally the eternal life. In the gospel reading today, we saw that Jesus is literally the salvation. When we come to Jesus Christ and become one with him, we become recipients of life forever. And that's why Jesus says, I am the only way to the Father, because he is the salvation. There's no saving knowledge apart from Jesus. Faith is trust in Jesus, the eternal life, the salvation, the light for the Gentiles, the hope of Israel. That is why Jesus is important to us. And the opposite to faith in Jesus is idolatry. The absence of understanding. And so this understanding that faith gives is this. We are God's children rescued from Satan's power through the one who is true, Jesus Christ. And the opposite to this faith is idolatry. Therefore, with John, I urge you to keep yourselves from idols false gods, the opposite to Jesus Christ. The only one who deserves the affections of our hearts is him who is true, Jesus Christ. Not the idols of our world that seek to replace, supplant him. If you have ever heard me speak about idolatry, please know this. It takes many forms and it is often hard to spot. Respectable pursuits can become idols. Unhealthy desires can become our gods. Whatever our heart desires most is likely our idol, our false god, our replica of Jesus Christ. If that be a person, a physical object, an experience, Idols are all around us crying, I desire to be your king, the king of your life. To explain the problem of idolatry, a definition might be helpful. In his book, Counterfeit Gods, Tim Keller, a pastor in America says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give. So what are the idols of our culture in Scone in the world? Love. Sex. Success. Money. Power. These are all forms of idol. Let me be more blunt. Rugby league, thoroughbreds, eating out with your family, 
sport, 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 education, these all can become idols. These gifts of God's creation that have been given to us by the Creator can actually become idols. It's sad, really. Beautiful things kept for marriage can be turned into ugliest things, like pornography, when Christ is not enthroned as the King of your heart. Hearing me speak, you may be thinking, I have some idols. Am I damned? Friends, there's still hope. Temporary lapses into idolatry do not disqualify you as God's children. While we all make mistakes, while we all sin, while we all fall into idolatry, God is powerful. God forgives us through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died on the cross, he died for you to free you from the penalty of sin, idolatry. But while he liberates and frees us from idols through his blood, he does not This does not mean that we can keep on sinning. We must place Christ, the King of grace, as the Lord of our heart. Our idolatry must be abandoned and replaced with the only source of true refreshment and life. Who is this? Non-rhetorical question. Who is this? Jesus. As we plan to make New Year's resolutions, I pray that our allegiance to Christ will be at the top of that list. You might be, oh, this year I want to lose a few kilos or I want to renovate my kitchen. Why not renovate your own heart? May you plead with God, Lord, change me. Do your will in me. May Jesus rule my heart this year, this life, as I pilgrim on to eternal glory. I pray that our allegiance to Christ will be at the top of our New Year's resolutions list. Let me summarize. Today, John offered us a final call to faith. He spoke about the confidence that faith secures, the prayer that faith enables, and the understanding that true faith gives. The opposite to this confident, prayerful, and true faith is idolatry. Knowing these truths, may we then strive to keep the faith all the more, especially in the year ahead. Amen.